0: I believe that along with the Apostle Paul, that God is able to do immeasurably more in us than we could ever possibly ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And that immeasurably more can bring radical change in us, to our churches, and to the world, and make everything I've just mentioned above an awful lot more like Jesus. Do you believe this? Let me try that again. Do Do you believe this? There's only one problem. There are giants standing between us and the realization of God's dream. And those giants stare us in the mirror every morning, and they taunt us. And they taunt us when we face challenges that require us to take bold steps of faith. And sometimes they even taunt us before we ever step foot out of bed. We've been introducing our mission, vision, and values over the past month. And we're going to go through them again, this group uh, of several of our different leaders that got together back in the fall and helped comprise our mission, vision, values. And I'd like for you to say them with me. Our vision is only God can. And we've been hearing those stories, and we know that you've got a story, too, of what only God can do. Our mission, how we do, go about our vision, is this. Compelled by compassion and called to unity. And then our three core values are devoted to truth, daring to act, and developing one another. And today we take a look at daring to act, that we are to be bold and action-oriented in our faith. Our faith does not call us to sit, but calls us to move. And I can think of no greater story that exemplifies daring to act in Scripture than the one we find in First Samuel chapter 17. Now, your Bible may have the heading that this is the story of David and Goliath, but by the end of this message, I hope you will see that both David and Goliath are smaller characters that are simply at work under a greater giant. Here's the story. Here's the setting. The Israelites were encamped on one hillside, the Philistines on the opposing side, and in the middle, of a valley. You do not want to fight a war in the middle of a valley. You want to be fighting downhill, not uphill. Okay? And so, they are at this standstill across this valley, and then all of a sudden, emerges one of our characters. A giant named Goliath. But the Bible doesn't just call him. In fact, it never calls him a giant. In verse 4 of chapter 17, we see that it calls him a champion named Goliath. Who was from Gath, came out of Philistine. uh, And uh, here he is. He was six uh, cubits and a span tall. Which if you're trying to convert that into metric, good luck. But what we understand here is that Goliath wasn't some awkward turtle, tall being. He is defined as a champion. He is like Michael Jordan in the sense that he never lost a championship. Do you know how I know that he was undefeated? Because he was still alive. These were not basketball championships. This was fight till the death. Goliath was the GOAT. He was the greatest of all time, at least in that area, and here he stands undefeated on the hillside across from the Israelites. What I want you to know today is that the giant that you are facing in your life is a legitimate giant. The giants that we face together are legitimate giants. Goliath is a huge threat to the people and the battles that you are facing, whether it be your financial situation or your relationship status or your health, all of these things are legitimate giants that can take control of your life in some way or another. It is legitimate for you to be stressed about them, or it is, it is human for you to be somewhat worried about them. They're legitimate. A few weeks ago, I announced that we were going to start supporting as a church, Tyler and Amy Maxwell, and their work with True International, it works with street kids. And in Nairobi, Kenya, and in Kenya alone, there are about 400,000 street kids, homeless children, and they sleep under overpasses. Some of them have mattresses, some of them sleep in gutters, some of them crawl up under the overpass to avoid being raped, beat, or mugged throughout the night. I've had the privilege of going over there several times. This is one of them. His name is John or Boniface or Macau. We're not sure exactly which is his original name. But Macau went on the street at the age of four. Can you imagine being homeless at the age of four? He battles every day for his provision. Sometimes that means he has to steal. Sometimes that means he has to lie. Sometimes that means he covers up the pain of being a homeless child, basking it by huffing glue. I think we'd all agree that the giants that stand between Macau and an effective life are huge, wouldn't you? And for those working with the street kids, the giants that they stand in trying to bring redemption to the lives of the street kids, who know no other life but rejection, and people looking down at them, those giants are huge as well. When we were in Omaha, we had our hearts broken about something that we didn't even realize was going on. That in a city the size of Omaha, there were approximately 14,000 children who did not have adequate bedding, meaning they slept on the floor or they they slept in way too small of a bed with way too many siblings. We decided to do something about it. In the first two years, we had built, constructed, and raised the funds and delivered about 700 beds in two years which is a great start. But there was also this looming fact in the background that there was still about 13,300 left to go, which calculated into about $2.5 million and about 60,000 volunteer hours. It was a legitimate giant standing in our path. When I think about our church and what we've been through in the past year and a half, nursing it back to health, working through our debt situation, is a legitimate giant that stands in our path. And if there's one thing that giants are good at, it is at taunting people. We see in verse 11 that on hearing the Philistines' words as Goliath would come out and taunt them every day, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And in verse 24, whenever the Israelites, this is speaking not just of the Israelites, but the Israelite warriors, the brave men of Israel, whenever they saw the man, I love that it just calls him the man. If you're nine foot tall, you don't need a name. You're simply the man. Whenever they saw him, they all fled from him in great fear. And what we understand next is that the job of a giant is to taunt and to incite fear. When I played college basketball, we often would go up against seven-footers. Do you know something that seven-footers are never? They are never a secret weapon. They cannot hide. There could be shooting guards that you would look down there and think, well, that kid's not any good. But you never looked at a seven-footer and said, well, he's not that big. Seven foot is big, let me tell you. And their job is to taunt and to incite fear in our lives. And you've been afraid and I've been afraid to face some of the giants in our lives because the taunting has gotten the best of us. These giants don't hide. They taunt us in voices that nobody but else... Else but us can hear. They taunt us every morning when we look in the mirror and tell us lies about ourselves. And they taunt us through the voices of people who have taken a stand against us and who have decided to play the role of a giant in our lives. I've even had people under five foot three inches tall be giants in my life. And here's what you have to learn to do, and what I have to learn to do. You have to learn to hear God's whispers over the shouts of the giants. It says in verse 16 that for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Here we have for 40 days he comes out and plays Braveheart. Forty days he looks out and looks down upon the Israelites. But that 40 days in Scripture is a hint for us. Because whenever we see the number 40 in Scripture, it's not merely factually telling us how many days it had been. Because 40 days in Israelite culture is considered to be a perfect period of time where God has been at work silently behind the scenes. And on day 41, he's about to do something big. And in the same way, what we have to recognize is that God had been doing a work of preparation in the hearts of the Israelites and in the heart of David, even though David didn't know what was going on in the situation. And here's what we understand, is that God prepares us for the perfect Period of time. And I don't know how long your 40 days has been. Maybe it's been a week or maybe it's been years. But God has been preparing you for this moment to face your giants. David was prepared through lonely pastures while going and guiding sheep through places that helped him to grasp what the valley of the shadow of death is all about. And maybe you've thought that you've been on the back burner. Maybe you've thought you've been out in the sheep pasture instead of the battlefield, and maybe you're right about that. But the reality is is that does not mean that God has not been preparing you because He has been. And all these only God can stories that we've heard, and the only God can stories that you've yet to share, that we will get you to share at one point or another, they're worth sharing because they're stories of how God prepared you and how God showed up faithfully. So here's the background. David enters the story. Because he is the shepherd, his older brothers are all on the front lines of battle. And so David brings them roasted grain and cheeses to his brothers. You've got to love a guy who brings cheese to the party. And along the way, he sees all these scared warriors as he's going out to the front line to see his brave brothers. And at some point, David approaches his brothers and Goliath steps out at that time and does his thing. And everybody else shrinks back in fear, and David's like, who's this goon? It's not in the Bible that it says that, but I, in my imagination, that's how it happens. And, and, and so David has defeated lions and bears and everything else, and so he asks the logical question, well, like, who's going to fight him, and what do they get if they defeat him? And they're like, well, you know, if, if you defeat him, then like, you know, then you get the, the king's going to give you riches. The king's going to give you his daughter hand in marriage, and then the king's going to cut your taxes. And, and and I think it was the taxes that got David. Cause that's what get me right. Like t- no taxes. Like yeah, yeah. Let's let's go. And it was like April fourteenth, and David was like, let's go. And so David goes and. Talks to the king, King Saul, who, remember, Saul was tall. I picture him at my height. Little pipsqueak David, little shepherd boy, comes in. And Saul laughs at him. Even though Saul was running in fear from the giant, here is the bravest of the brave. And Saul laughs at him and thinks, how could he ever bring a victory? Maybe there's people that laugh at you as well. And after talking with Saul, finally David says in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. God has been preparing you to fight this giant all along by fighting smaller battles. Some of you feel like the smaller battles that you've had to fight, you don't know why you've been fighting them. I don't know why I've been fighting some of the battles I've been fighting either throughout my life, but the reality is God's preparing you for something. God is preparing you for the greater giant. God is preparing you for what is in store for you. Here's my question, how are you preparing for the big battle? How are you preparing for Goliath? Because what we see David doing is being faithful in the small things. And what we have to recognize is maybe we've been looking for the big battle all along, but we've been neglecting fighting the smaller ones. We've been neglecting fighting the daily battles. We've we've taken a a lesser view on smaller sins. We've said, no, I'm, I'm saving up for the big step of faith. I don't need to take this small one. The reality is... If you're skipping that, then you're skipping an opportunity for God to grow you. God's been preparing you. Are you faithful to show up for the smaller battles? Because that will determine your success in the big battle. And so here we go in verse 38. Saul decides to let David fight his battle for him. And Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Remember the height difference here? David had to look like a punter in a lineman's football gear at this point. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened the sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can see David stumbling around, and the Philistines looking from the distant hillside and starting to chuckle a bit, can't you? David says, I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand approached the Philistines. David was recognizing that this was not something to be done by faith alone that he needed both faith and wisdom. During my senior year of high school, we were the, the 12th or 13th ranked team in the state and we were playing the 5th ranked team in the state. We had a 6 foot 7 all-stater, they had a 6 foot 10 all-stater. And after the tip-off of this, this well-hyped game, we noticed that when we got the tip and went down, that the six-foot 10 guy wasn't guarding our six-foot seven guy, but the six-foot 10 guy was guarding me instead. This was not because I was better than the All-Stater. I promise you this. We don't know why that they chose to do the matchups that way, but that's what they chose to do. And then I heard the voice of my coach: "Give the ball to Fulton. Give the ball to Fulton!" What are you talking about, coach? The 6'10 All-Staters on me. Why in the world are you giving me the ball? Post him up, get the ball, give him a little head fake, get him in the air, bump into him. Referee blows the whistle. Foul number one. Second time down the floor, give the ball to Fulton. Give the ball to Fulton. Coach, what are you doing? All right, fine. Get the ball, give him a little head fake, get him in the air, get him up, get him on my shoulder. Foul number two. Sometimes you defeat the giant by going over the top of them. other times you defeat the giant by sitting him on the bench. we won that game by 11 points that night because their giant sat on the bench most of the game. The reality is is that when you choose to trust the greater giant, when you here are fighting the giant, you need both faith and wisdom if you're going to take down the giants. You see, we see faith and wisdom as opposite ends of the spectrum. See, faith being over here is something that you do, and wisdom being over here, and they like collide with each other. They're so far apart that if they were to hit, they'd collide. But the reality is, in Scripture, we see that faith and wisdom are overlapping. Faith and wisdom go hand in hand. It's not one or the other, it's both and. God works through faith and wisdom. We need faithful leaders, yes, but we need wise leaders as well. We need both and. And David was both and because he recognized that he couldn't defeat the giant with a sword, but he could with the sling. And with five smooth stones. And so here it is, the climax of the story in verse 45. Just after the Philistine comes out and shouts his insults at David, just after he is cursing him, it says David responded to the Philistine. I'd like to say he shouted it at him. I'd like to say he was up on his tippy toes, little David, looking up. He said, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Did you hear that? What David's saying is, all my Israelite friends, all they could see was you, you big, ugly ogre of a giant. But the reality is, I see somebody else, and he's bigger than you are. He's not just the giant. He's the Almighty. He's the Maker. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. And he's the one who's fighting for me. The reality is, is when David saw Goliath, He might as well have been seeing Zacchaeus or Muggsy Bogues. Because he wasn't comparing the size of the giant to the size of him. He was comparing the size of the giant to the size of his God. And the Almighty is always bigger. And church, you need to know that the battles you face, the giant is bigger than you. That may be true. But he is not bigger than the Almighty God who fights for you and who is on your side and who is working in us and through us and for us in all things. And so he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You've ticked my God off, is what he is saying here. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I love that part of the story. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine armies to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You see, David wasn't just looking about winning this battle. He was about how God's name could be shared in all the world. All those gathered here today will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Have you acknowledged that the battle, the giant you face, is not just your battle, it's the Lord's battle, and He's fighting for you? Walter Brueggemann, he said in his reply, David had in mind the entire memory of Yahweh's deliverances of Israel in the past. He's calling back to all those stories of how God worked to save Noah in the flood. All those times he worked to save Abraham. And and all the way up through all those people, how he delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians through Moses. David had in mind all those victories. And the reality is that's what we're doing when we're sharing those only God can stories. We're saying, look how God's been faithful there. He was faithful in my life and He'll be faithful in yours as well. We need the entire saving history of God in our minds and in our hearts to endure and face the giants that are before us to remind ourselves that God was faithful then, He's faithful now, and He'll be faithful when He returns and blows that trumpet and spreads open the skies. My question for you is this. Will you choose to see the greater giant? Will you choose to believe today that even when the giant is staring you right in the eyes, the giant that you are facing, that the Almighty is even bigger. That the Almighty is faithful to come to your defense. And even though the Almighty hasn't been taunting you, He's been whispering. And He's been reminding you of His faithfulness. Will you choose to trust the greater giant? For He is faithful. It's kind of anticlimactic from here. David whirls the stone up, knocks Goliath in the head. Goliath, boom, he's done. He falls down. He's dead. David cuts off his head because that's what they did back then. You don't have to do that to your giant today. That's okay. But uh, it's right there in the Bible, so i got to say it, right? And so what we see, is this is not the end of the story. Often we talk about David defeating Goliath, but this is how it ends. It says, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead... Those taunting Philistines, what did they do? They were discouraged. They turned and they ran. And then what happened to the fearful Israelites who had been afraid to go out and to face this battle? It says, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout. Those who had been whimpering are now shouting. And they pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron, where the heck that's at. Here's the deal, church. When you choose to trust the greater giant, others will choose to follow and trust Him too. This isn't just about you overcoming your giants, it's about your children seeing you overcome your giants, and your grandchildren, and them being faithful to act and respond. We can inspire the next generation by tackling and facing our giants, by trusting in the Almighty, and by teaching them that God is faithful. And the reality is, is that when our kids and when the next generation of East Point has grown, they will eat the giants that used to plague us. They will eat them for breakfast and be fighting battles even bigger than we fought by noon. Will you choose to trust the greater giants? Because history does not remember the giant fearers, but it does remember the giant slayers. Which giant will you choose? Will you choose to be defeated and cowered by the taunts of those smaller giants, or will you choose to see that the Almighty is fighting for you, and in you, and through you? When Martin Luther took on the giant that was the corruption in the church, and nailed those 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, he knew that the size of the giant he was facing on was huge. But he also believed that the bigger giant, the Almighty, that he was trusting in, when he said, "I here I stand, I can do no other," it was because he was declaring that he was trusting the bigger giant. When Abraham Lincoln decided that 300 years of slavery was more than enough, and even though it would eventually cost him his life, he knew he was taking on a major giant. But he knew there was a greater giant who made it quite evident that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and He chose to fight that giant that was standing between Him and our nation and equality. When Rosa Parks made that decision to sit, I want to be clear, she may be the only person in history who took a stand by sitting. When she chose to sit, She was fighting against the great giant of inequality. Do you remember Rosa Parks' greatest quote? No. I mean, that's it. That's the quote. Literally, what she is known for is saying, no, I will not get up. And yet, her story inspired others to face the giants of inequality and to stand strong, even if it meant simply sitting She chose to trust the greater giant. When Jesus faced the biggest giants that we know, sin that has held every one of us hostage, and death, the thief of life, He humbled Himself and trusted that His giant Father, the Almighty, was bigger than those two imposters. And through His act, God washed our sins away and rose Jesus up from the grave. The hope that we now have that those wannabe giants have been defeated. And Paul... The Apostle Paul used to be a great giant against Christians himself before he met that true giant on the Damascus Road. And when he met that giant, the Almighty, it gave him the courage to proclaim that that great giant known as Caesar was really no giant at all compared to our giant God. That even when Paul was in prison and about to have his life taken by the forces of Caesar, he was able to stand and proclaim that there was a bigger giant than Caesar and to look death in the eye and taunt it by saying, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? There was not even a choice as to which giant is the biggest. Our God is the Almighty. He towers over every giant that we face and... He dares us to act. To act in faith knowing that He is the Almighty, that He is faithful to do what only God can do, that He is the only giant who should dominate your life's story. And so church, I implore you today to choose the greater giant To choose the Almighty who has already been fighting through all history for you and for me. To choose to fight your battles not in your own strength, but by looking to the Almighty who was with you just as He was with David, just as He was with Jesus, just as He was with Paul, and just as He has been with this church from day one. Because in the end of the story, the Almighty always wins because our giants... Always fall dead. But our giant stands to life. Choose the greater giant. Our God is faithful and He is with you even when He is silent. Your giants will fall. Because the one giant has overcome everything. And we can trust in Him. Almighty, we look to you as the one who has defeated sin and death, the one who is faithful in the midst of our story. God, we recognize that the giants that we face are legitimate, God. They, they have some, some major strongholds, that they are big enough that only you can defeat them, and that's okay, because God, we don't waller in despair, but we look to you and know that you are faithful and that you are good. So Jesus, we look to you. We look to the Almighty, and we trust in you, knowing, Jesus, that you have gone before us, conquering sin and death, and you're still at work. Holy Spirit, we pray that you encourage us. Give us courage to face our giants by looking to the Almighty. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, as we wrap up the service today, I want to let you know about a few things that we have going on. Uh, first, I want to give you a budget update. We've been giving you a budget update once a minute, month. Again, our must-have budget is at 61 dollars a month. Uh, and our target goal is just over $70,000, 70833 uh, Our actual giving in January was at 62207 uh, so that does get us a uh, little uh, closer to that, that must-have. Right now, we're about 13,338 below our must-have budget. The good news is, is we are still in the black as of right now uh, because we've just done everything we can to cut spending in, in the middle of this pandemic and everything else. Now, the bad news is, is we need to gear up for the fall when we really reopen, when we see so many faces starting to come back, when we can get back at it post-pandemic. Uh, so that there's good news and bad news in that. The reality is, is we just want to keep it in front of you and keep you praying and keep you informed uh, so, that, uh, so that you can be giving and praying both.